You know, sometimes we hear, we read a scripture, and you know, when we come to church, we're all holy and we're respectful, and that's good. But sometimes, especially in the Gospel of John, we need to think about the emotions that are going on and swirling around some of these scriptures that we're reading and some of the things and the events that they're talking about, and particularly with this one. And then we also also always need to think of the context of what is going on in the scripture that we're talking about on a particular day. And so what I want to begin with here is that I want you to realize what has happened just before this story today. Because Jesus has been in a heated debate with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it's important for you to understand the emotions that are going on right now because this event, the healing of the blind man, is what is the final straw that gets Jesus killed. So let's see what they're arguing about. Jesus has actually just told them some of the similar things. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, you are of this world, but I am not of this world. That's not so bad yet. And then he goes, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. And the word that he uses for I am is ego ami. That's the word, the name of God. He is equating himself with God. And now the Pharisees and the Sadducees are starting to get angry again. And then he goes on. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. And he uses that I am word, ego ami, again. He says, I am God, effectively, and I am here. And tensions are rising. And then he tops it off. He says, your father is Satan. Your father is the devil. He is a liar. And so are you. He is a murderer. And so are you. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are furious. They are seeing red. They are so angry. And they have now completely decided that this man's got to go. And Jesus is just as mad with them. And he walks away from them. And the emotions of that scene where he has been pleading with these leaders to see him, to believe him. And he walks away and he walks up to this man who has been placed right there by God for this miracle on that day. Now, I want you to think about it for a minute from the perspective of the blind man. He has no idea all this is going on. He's just sitting there begging. And then all of a sudden there's a kerfuffle going on around him, a whole whirlwind of events. He may hear this crowd come up and he hears the comment, who sinned, this man or the sinners? He's heard that before. And so if you think about the emotions from the, from the, the blind man, he's probably just cementing the, his feeling of unworthiness, his feeling of being an outcast, his feeling of being a sinner beyond redemption, of just not being, uh, of being the dreg of society 
as, of, as how he has been treated. But the next thing he knows, the next thing he hears, is someone spitting. Now, he might have heard this before, because he's an outcast, and he's a beggar. And so I'm sure people have walked by him before and spit at him and said all sorts of things to him. But now he hears spit, and then something remarkable happens. He feels a man putting mud on his eyes. And then that man tells him to go and wash. And you have to wonder, has that blind man started to get a little hope in there? And he walks away, and he goes to the pool, and in top of the in desperation and hope and despair of life, all whirling with him, he says, I'm going to try this. And he goes, and he washes his pool. He washes in the pool of Siloam, and he can see. And I want you to understand, to think about that emotion of that moment. You know, a few years ago, there was a video that circulated around. It was about a seventh grader named Jonathan. Maybe you saw it. And he had a remarkable principle in his life. Jonathan was born severely colorblind. He could only see in shades of gray and black and white. And his, his principal had also suffered from uh, colorblindness, but not as bad as Jonathan. And so one day, unbeknownst to Jonathan, the principal orders these remarkable glasses that had been invented. They look like little ordinary sunglasses. And so during science class, the principal, knowing what he's going to do, invites Jonathan's mom to come. And during science class, when they're studying DNA and they're studying colorblindness, the principal gives Jonathan these glasses and he puts them on for the very first time. And he bursts into tears. He is overwhelmed by the color and the beauty of color in the world as he sees it for the first time. And that wonderful, remarkable principle goes up and gives him the biggest hug. And then if you can just imagine Jonathan, he's walking around, he's in the science room. He goes up to the periodic table of all things and he's looking at the color of the periodic table. And then he's looking at the color of the posters on the wall. And he's overwhelmed with joy and he's just tear crying outright at all of this that he now gets to see. Multiply that reaction by about a billion, and that's what happened to the blind man. I am positive that blind man didn't just kind of stroll back from the pool of Siloam. I am pretty positive he came running, and he wants to find that guy that helped him. He wants to find Jesus, and he's so excited, and he wants to share this with his parents and his family, and his friends, and the world. This remarkable miracle that had never occurred ever in the history of the world. He was born blind, and now he can see. He can see it all. And he gets there, and so here's this little bundle of 
joy and happiness in, oh my goodness, just we can't even imagine. But over here are these people living in the gray and the black and the white. Because Jesus had the nerve to tell them off. And Jesus had the nerve to heal that man on the Sabbath. Now, you see, these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they thought that they had had it all figured out. They thought that they knew who God was, and they thought they knew exactly how it worked. You see, they were the holy ones, the privileged. They were blessed by God, clearly, and it had to be because they were such good people and holy people. They kept the law, all of them, even the little ones. And they knew they were righteous, And they also knew that they could tell from God's law who wasn't. Clearly, the people who are born blind were born blind because of sin. Surely, the people that are the outcasts, the lepers, all of these people that endured tremendous trials, and not just them. What about the women, the Pharisees, I mean, the women and the Samaritans, all those outsiders, those tax collectors? Goodness gracious. It is clear from God's law to say who's out And who's in? And they were sure they knew who was who. What they didn't realize was that they had veered very far off track. They thought they knew it all, but they knew nothing. And what they missed entirely is that we are all sinners. We are all sinners. No one is perfect on this side of heaven. Not them, not us, not all those outcasts that they look down on. And not, certainly not that blind man. We, were all, we are all sinners. And the leaders thought they knew who was pure and holy. And then Jesus comes. The one who existed with God before creation. The one who is with Abraham or saw Abraham being called. The one who saw Moses being called. He was there before creation. And now he's standing right there in front of them. And they can't see him because they've got it so wrong. Because they think they know how God works. They are blind because they cannot hear God. So they cannot see God either. You know, they thought that it was based on the test. They thought that the test was people are in if you follow the law. People are out if you follow the law. It's very simple. If you do right, you're in. If you do bad, you're out. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, you got it wrong. Thankfully, Jesus came and he changed the test because we need it all. All of us need a different test. And here it is. Do you see me? Do you believe in me? That's it. In John's gospel, you'll, all, you'll hear him say over and over again, come and see, come and see. Come and see, come and meet Jesus. And if you believe that he came from God and is God and is the Messiah. You are saved. You will be with him 
in eternity. That's the test. And it only takes a little tiny bit of faith. The size of a mustard seed. Thankfully, Jesus changes the test about the kingdom. But that rocks the world of those Pharisees and those Sadducees. And so that is what leads to the cross and to their judgment of him. Now, I truly believe that the reason God used, the reason Jesus used sinners and tax collectors and lepers and outcasts and Romans and Gentiles and Samaritans to get this point across is to make sure that all of those people that were seemingly unrighteous at the time of Jesus, if they can be saved, then so can we. Because we're all in the same boat with him, whether we realize it or not. And so to prove his point, Jesus walks away from the legal eagles, and he walks to the man, the man blind from birth, and he opens his eyes. And so they clearly knew uh, so he, uh, the leaders clearly knew um, what was going on, but they didn't get it. And so just as um, Jesus used his holy spit and mud to save that man, to, to uh, open his eyes, in just a couple of days, these Pharisees and other unbelievers will be spitting on Jesus and dragging him through the mud so that we all can be saved. It was these events that lead to the passion of Christ. And so my question for you this day is, what's holding you back from complete abandonment, complete joy and exuberance in your faith? Is it your pride? Are you a Sadducee, a Pharisee, pretty certain you don't need help? Or more likely, is it fear? Is it fear what other people will think of you if you start living into the full um, faith of life the, the, as a son and daughter of God that you were created to be in your unique space? Is it fear of losing security? Is it fear of others, um, of God? Is it fear that he will see you, that you've sort of been floating on the edge here, thinking, well, maybe if I just get close enough, <laughs> he'll let me in too. But I'm really not good enough. And if everybody here knew what I'd done, they'd know I should be smited or worse. The good news is God invites you to live a technicolor life. You don't have to stand in mon monochromatic gray, um, gray shades of gray. He invites all of us to live in <laughs> sunshine and rainbows. I mean, that's what it is to live in full color, to live a life full and abundant so that our light shines in such a way that we draw others to him. God has put rose-colored glasses on, and he sees you as the beautiful child he created you to be. And he is calling you to put on rose glasses just like his, to look around and see all these others as he sees them, and then go out and do his work and draw others, spread the great news, because the rules have changed. Thanks be to God.